Hello and welcome to the Salty Club podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Creeper, and I am here today with Hannah Jung. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Caitlin. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to hear your story. I understand from the time we've worked together on a few little projects that uh, you've lived a few lives, it seems. So I'd love to jump into that and hear a bit about how you got to where you are today. (laughs) Um, Yes, definitely have gone through many different iterations and evolutions of me. Um, So I'll kind of quickly go through the highlights of the many lives. So I have a background as a competitive ice skater. I have been a professional artist. I've also worked in marketing and um, did strategy for Rolex and Samsung for a big agency in New York and in London. I had burnout. Um, Once I went to the startup world, I was um, at the time working as a director of marketing um, for a startup in New York and had a major burnout and then pivoted in a major way and decided to go work on a super yacht, which is very 180, but it was actually a very strategic, intentional move. It was a one-year experiment that turned into a completely different pathway I did not expect, which then led me into the world of luxury yachting. And especially what I found interesting was um, yacht staffing. So I started a yacht staffing um, mobile app um, and a tech platform, which I then later sold to a competitor in the yachting industry. I also started a um, education platform for also the maritime industry to kind of educate people on how to transition into yachting in, while using marketing <laughs> and how to position themselves to better present um, to employers. And then that pivoted into a secondary um, come to Jesus moment where I was like, okay, I've, I've done it. I've been an entrepreneur, um, but it's not something that I really love or enjoy. What can I do that feels more like me? And what can I do that feels like it's in service of people and not just, you know, luxury yachting was not my end game. So um, I started Reboot Experiences, which is really a company built to connect and elevate and um, really support uh, leaders and entrepreneurs and thinkers and artists and creators to really kind of get to their next level in life, their next life pivot, something that I'm very familiar with, navigating all the life pivots. And yeah, that really led to me starting retreats and group coaching and personal one-on-one coaching. And it's really um, allowed me to achieve my overall life mission, which is to scale love. And it allows me to say yes to opportunities that do so. And one of the main reasons why working with Salty and partnering with Salty Souls has been so nourishing is because I truly believe that when women uplift one another and we're able to support each other, um, I think beautiful things can come. And also as a surfer myself, I love um, supporting other women in the waves. So (laughs) super aligned. (laughs) We're definitely super aligned and there's nothing more potent than women helping each other. I totally agree with that. Have you always known that this was your life mission when you were younger? Would you have ever thought that you ended up where you are now? You know, it's funny because I... When I was a kid, I my dream job was to be two things. 
One was I would like to be a builder of some kind, like an architect or a teacher. And now looking at my life, I'm like, I actually kind of got there, but not in the way that I thought I teach for a living, um, but not in a school, in a school setting. And I do build things, but not necessarily in that realm. Um, so yeah, I think I did get my wish without really intending to. That's awesome. And I think that's so true. I think like when we're younger, we can kind of minimize what we want to do when we're older to one occupation. Um, And it's like, I want to be this, I want to be an architect, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a writer, instead of being like, what do I actually want to do with my time? And what actually allows that with my time? I know, for example, like, when we were all picking subjects in school, what we wanted to study and people would pick, oh, I want to pick marine biology because it means I'll be on the water every day. But Mm. who actually, with marine biology, are you actually in the water every day? It's kind of like this disconnect between what title you want to have versus what it actually, what your actual day looks like, right? Yeah, 100%. And I I think also it's different because I'm a first generation, like child of immigrants. Like I'm Korean American. I grew up in Texas. And there was a lot of pressure from my parents and my grandparents, my entire family's hopes and dreams resting on my shoulders. And much of that um, pressure was about you need to succeed and success was equal to money and finance. Um, And so I think many looking around the room, many people, many of my peers with a similar background chose professions purely for the financial um, benefit. And not necessarily asking themselves the question of what do I really want? What do I have to say in this world? What are my skills? How do I want to express myself before I die? And that questioning is a true luxury. And I remember when I, you know, made all of my life pivots, it was very confusing to my parents who are very rigid and they're thinking of like doctor, lawyer, finance, like what are you doing in this advertising world? And then when I quit that to work on yachts, they were very devastated. But I think the way that I explained it to them was you worked so hard so that I would have opportunities that you didn't. You were in survival mode, but I'm able to think beyond just survival. And I get to ask myself these questions of what is it that I truly want to do on this earth? What am I naturally gifted at? Where do I feel like my heart wants to help specifically like what mantle do I want to hold and um, that is really how I defined it to my parents and how I define it for myself is like this is the privilege that I get to have in this generation to not purely make a decision from finance or scarcity but create something that's uniquely mine Mm -hmm. and with that decision it's so funny because the moment you choose that the, the moment that finance and money and abundance actually flows to you with a lot more ease. And it's, it's such a disconnect from the narrative that money should be hard, which is what I was taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's like a very specific position that a lot of people can relate to this feeling of like my parents sacrificed so much for me and I don't want to let them down. I want something to show them that Mm. everything they sacrificed, all the hardships they went through were worth it. Mm -hmm. And I I know from reading your stories a little bit that you were living this chapter in New York and London and a kind of high-flying job. And would you say that was your chapter where you feel like you were trying to like live out that legacy for them the most of conventional success? Yes. I think 
because when I chose advertising, it was still something that they weren't familiar with because it wasn't a doctor, a lawyer, or, or a banker. <laughs> I, I felt like this subconscious need to like prove that I can be a success. So I think I stayed in it a lot longer than I felt like my soul and my body knew that I needed to exit. But I, I think in my mind, I was like, well, I need to hit a certain income. I need to hit a certain title, you know, get to that director position, make that six figure salary just to say, see, like there is money in advertising, there's money in the creative arts. <laughs> My parents were like, okay, okay. It was like, it was just pure validation at that point. I mean, I think initially it started off as like something that I really enjoyed. And then, you know, the industry changes, you know, marketing is ever shifting um, and it's only going to increase in how much it, and how quickly it changes. And yeah, it just didn't resonate anymore, but I still kind of made myself go through the motions, even though my body was screaming at me, which is why I ended up in the hospital and burnout twice. So yeah, um, I've learned that lesson never again, <laughs> never again will I push past that. <laughs> Was that kind of like the moment that scared you into thinking like, okay, because I I think it's so true. We start to know, we get these whispers that something isn't right and then Mm. we push forward and then things start kind of closing down around us, whether it be like a relationship or a lifestyle. But I don't know if it's as women, I don't know what it is where we push on until our body starts screaming at us to be like, well, if you're not going to stop, then I'm going to make you stop. And that can be really scary because it can sometimes be so intense that it brings up such fears is like dying right and mm-hmm. and like chronic health and problems and and it's like if your body keeps talking to you and not listening it gets louder and louder and it's it's not going to go away 100% um everything that you said Caitlin resonates and it's absolutely true like at least it was for me um i think women hold a lot of emotions um and stress and you know, fears in their, in their gut, in their stomach. And I know for me that I know my emotional state, my body knows my emotional state before I do in my brain. Um, and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that the body is a type of, um, tool and a type of early warning system. I just thought my body was my body and I was very overly reliant on my intellect and my brain and my logic that I, when, even when the doctor asked me like, have you been under a lot of stress in my mind? I was like, no, not any more than a typical New Yorker, but my body was like, yes, you are in a amount of stress and ignoring those thoughts and, and and ignoring those body signals has devastating consequences. And so many women who suffer from major stomach issues, especially if it's unexplained and the doctors just don't have an answer. They're like, oh, you have IBS, which is like a catch-all phrase for like you have gut issues. But like that truly is not helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and there hasn't been enough studies done about the connection between women's emotions and their gut issues. And so now I'm very attuned mm-hmm. to any sort of subtle shift in my my body and and tensions and Mm -hmm. any um, feelings that arise, I honor and like get curious about it. But yes, like that was the first moment that I knew the consequences of not listening to that gut feeling. And yes, you're absolutely right. I, I knew that this was not the path for me, maybe three years prior to me actually having the burnout and being forced 
to leave um, and to like literally choose life versus death, um, especially with my family's history of stomach cancer. I didn't want to take that risk because it started off very similarly. And I am convinced that if I had not pivoted my life in that really dramatic way, I would have probably continue to treat the symptoms. And by the time I understood the underlying cause, it would have probably turned into cancer. Um, so now I think there is such a good collaboration that I have with my body instead of seeing my body as this like separate entity, like really letting it be just another way to communicate with me, not just through my brain, but through my physical being. Um, so that's very, um, that's very helpful for me to know now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think so many women can relate to that. And this is a good indicator to like, listen to your body, listen to what your body's trying to tell you. But the problem is so many of us, our lives are just so fast that actually creating that space to listen to ourselves. you know, how many times do you hear from people? Oh, I don't have time. Like, it's great that you can take care of yourself, but like, I don't have time. And then like that whole privilege conversation comes in, but I also think there is the opportunity in everyone's life to make that spaciousness and to make those decisions because how much time do we give ourselves to scroll on our phones? That's a fair amount of time. It's a fair amount of time for all the different things that we do and taking care of yourself and listening to yourself doesn't always have to be these big elaborate things, but I feel like the default setting we all get maybe as millennials is like pack your schedule as hard as you can like Tetris blocks and achieve the most as you can. And that's what makes a valuable day and a valuable life. Mm, yeah, I I hear you. And yeah, that was definitely me. Um, I think so much of our society really demands us to define ourselves by our work and by what we do. I think it's it's the loudest um, cheers that we receive. It's the loudest accolades. Like it's, I think that is, very forward facing and it's something that we are encouraged to do. So I think it's just us being an autopilot in a way. We're just, we're, we're trained for this. So we're like, Oh, okay. Keep busy, be productive, you know, achieve, achieve, achieve. But at, at a certain point that no longer becomes enough. I think there comes a point in most of my clients also like that reach that pivot point in their life have a very similar story. They all hit that wall and they're like, I feel like I'm low key avoiding something. And I'm afraid that if I have to sit with it, it's going to make me look at how I've been living the last like, you know, three, five years of my life and like really going against what I wanted to do. But even to stop and admit and feel that can feel like a lot. So people like to just press Mm. the snooze button on their life and just carry on pushing through. And there's two pathways when you feel that you have a a hint. Like, I think we're very intuitive people. If you hint, Mm. you have a feeling that, ooh, like maybe I'm avoiding something. Like, am I okay? There's two pathways that that can take. One is, nah, I'm totally fine. I'm going to carry on. And that inevitably leads to burnout, which I have been. Or the other pathway is like getting curious and being, oh, like, what am I avoiding? Can I sit with it? Can I create that space, even if it feels uncomfortable? And maybe I'm a little bit afraid of what what I'm avoiding. 
But mm-hmm. everybody already knows what they're avoiding. They're just not giving it any space to move through them. And that's what creates this extra underlying tension that like never seems to go away. It's like this, it's like the feeling of like forgetting an appointment. You're like, ah, I feel like there's something that I need to do. It's like, it takes up brain space, whether you realize it or not, whether you're dealing with it or not, it's still there. So it's like, do you want to address it head on and with compassion and curiosity, or do you want to keep hitting snooze and lead to burnout? (laughs) So like, that really is a choice that we have to make. Yeah, (laughs) I totally agree. And I agree as well that like, I think there's this threshold between like the pain of not addressing it and the pain of being like, okay, this isn't one of the life I want to live. And like you can snooze and snooze and snooze until this pressure builds up where it's like, okay, going headfirst into this will hurt less than how it feels to be running from it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think everybody gets to that point and which is why I think everything has a time and a place. And so there's no judgment if someone is in the snooze button phase, like that's a protection mechanism and that's totally okay if that's where you are. Um, But know that your day will come and that will, that will happen regardless um, because you'll feel it. It'll be so uncomfortable for you that you will have to address it at some point. So yeah, no matter where they find themselves and whether it's snoozing or getting curious and facing it, it's totally fine. And that's exactly where you should be. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny, but I only really came face to face with this when I had my son and he came into like toddlerhood because obviously I read like sparingly, I didn't want to go too far into books, but I read a few books about like conscious parenting. And the big thing they all say is don't just turn on the TV every time they're bored, let them be bored, let them sit in their boredom and let them know it's safe. Teach them now. So then when they're 30 and 40, they don't have to spend years like rewiring. Why not just never give them that like frenetic need in the first place? But in doing so, I have to be an example of that. And that's where it's been hard because I was like, you can be bored, babe, like it's safe to be bored. But then I go and put on an audiobook or a podcast and have to give myself some head noise to be present with him in his, you know, and then I expect him to just be calm and play with blocks. So for me right now, something I'm really sitting with is like not having to have the head noise and actually not always having to have music on or a podcast or an audiobook. Like I love all those things, but where am I going to them like just to listen and because I enjoy it and just for something like fun and inspirational. But where am I like literally putting sound into my head just to not hear what's happening in my head, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny that you say that because um, a practice I started integrating into my life a few years back is um, boredom Sundays, or at least once a week, I have my schedule cleared where I don't make any plans with others. Obviously, like there's still things that come up that I need to get done, but I try to have a block of time where I don't fill it with any noise, no phones, usually in nature. And <clears throat> obviously with the sun, a version of this would be to like just be step away from your phone and have that boredom time with your son. Um, and for me, it's just like cloud gazing, literally like going for a wander, like walking really helps with boredom. And like, it's that liminal space is where you're most creative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, there's no accident that you're coming up with all these ideas when you're showering, because there's no other distraction other than you're like taking a shower and you're let, letting your mind ease up for a second, letting it breathe. And you're like, oh, 
I had this idea or like right before you're about to go to bed, <laughs> sometimes mm, to the detriment mm-hmm. of your sleep, but that's the only time you've given yourself. So your brain's like, finally, like, okay, so I have this idea and that idea. No, 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 no. So like, if you want to prevent that from happening, you've got to give your brain some time to let it speak uh-huh. to you. So it doesn't come at you right before you go to bed, because that's the only space that is given. So intentional space is absolutely important for any sort of creativity, any sort of um, time for you to process, time for you to come up with solutions. Like it is like a magical time to be bored. Mm -hmm. And I agree. It's something we have to like train ourselves into. We have to do it over and over and like feel it sounds so ridiculous, but I know that everyone listening will know what this means to feel safe in your body being bored. Because we have for decades been like, if you have boredom, if you have an empty space, you should be moving, you should be doing something, you should even like you should be posting something or you should, Mm -hmm. it's like takes a long time and it's not even if you logically know how good it is for you, it is amazing what kind of emotions can come up in your body. It's the same as like when you're doing yoga and you do hip openers, like you can feel vulnerable sitting in boredom. You can feel sad. You can feel nauseous. It is crazy how much the body can react to this feeling of boredom because we were never taught and we never allowed ourselves that space. Wow. hundred percent. You know, the feeling safe in your body to be bored, I think can come from, I think our parents' generation where idleness was seen as like something morally bad and like they didn't have the luxury of leisure time or intentional boredom. So I can resonate with that. Like even when my, my brothers and I would be playing, we would always be like scared, like, Oh, is mom going to come yell at us? Or like, (laughs) is she going to like say like, why aren't we doing our homework? Even if we had everything done and doing that extra time, it was like stolen time. And that really kind of, <laughs> that, that that thinking and that mentality buries itself in the subconscious and it comes out as the should. I tell my clients all the time, don't should on yourself. Anytime you say, I should be doing this, I should be doing that, I should be doing this, like it's very much the voice of programming, whether it comes from a parent or a parent figure or authority figure or someone in society saying, you should be productive. You know, otherwise you are X, Y, and Z, or it means something about you, or you're a failure, or you're lazy, or blah, blah, blah. All these other things that have been projected onto us to vilify boredom when boredom is absolutely necessary to come up with the creativity that humanity so desperately needs. So yes, um, pay attention to when you say, oh, I should do this. Get curious and say, where is that voice coming from? Where have I heard that that vibe before? Is it from my mother? Is it from my father? Is it from my teacher? And allow yourself to be like, it's okay. Like I'm giving myself this space because it'll allow me to be, it'll show up, allow me to show up better as myself, as a partner, as a daughter, as a mother, as a friend, a sister. And it, it really helps you reframe those moments of panic uh, when you feel unsafe in that boredom. 
I agree. And I think what you're, the kind of creativity you're talking about, like the word just came to me is deep creativity. Cause I think there's this surface level creativity when we don't step off too much. And then you're almost kind of like, you don't realize you're doing it, but you're also kind of mimicking what everyone else is doing because you're keeping what everyone else is doing so close to you and also not trusting your mm. deep creativity because you're not giving yourself the time to go into it. But deep creativity is like really different and it's exciting to you and it, there's risk involved. And, and it's that kind of deep creativity. I think that really moves the needle forward and really taps into your purpose and and your life mission like you said so I totally think there's a difference between like kind of surface level creativity which is fun but also I think you know when it's not truly coming from you and your deepest like most centered place 100% yes to create from that deep inner knowing you know I that's like you have to be able to hear your higher self and your guides, right? Through intuition, through knowing, sometimes in words, sometimes through visions, and to really take that knowledge that is rooted in who you are and create from that space requires attention and requires honoring like that sacred time that you hear the messages. It's like in some ways, it would be a disservice and disrespectful to your higher self and what it needs to do on this earth if you never, if you like are never paying attention. It's like the same with like when you go out to dinner with your friend and she's on the, her phone the whole time and you're like, hello, mm. like I want to spend time with you. I'm like yeah. I want to connect with you. It's the same way. It's like you are by not giving space to hear your guides and your higher self and express who you are at your core and create from your most sacred space. It's like you are scrolling on your phone and ignoring the signs and ignoring them trying to come and speak to you and spend time with you. Exactly. I call them my little fairies because when I was little, I was obsessed with fairies. I had fairy gardens (laughs) and I always like had these little, little like things talking to me like this and this and then you know I I went through an age where I'm like okay that that chapter's done and then I went through another age where I'm like why the fuck is it done let's bring back the fairies they tell me things you know they they guide me so and it's it's just a little thing I think they follow me around they it's my intuition right but they're my fairies but there's also this is also kind of goes into the the topic of these pivots that happen and I mean we are talking almost from a place of, I feel like I am in this life that feels very like real for me. It's like the pace I want it to be. It it follows my values. And I truly feel like I am following my life's purpose. It's slower than I thought it would be. And I I realize it's actually meant to be slower than I thought it would be because I'm at the pace of a three-year-old. And so I'm kind of trying to let it be slower than it was. But what I was thinking of is how much sometimes I forget how much pain I was in before I took the leap, before I moved to Central America, because we are surrounded by these people who have also taken the leap in different kind of ways. But then I was really trying to get back into this. How did it feel like? And what was I so scared of? And one thing I remember was it's so scary to move forward when you can't see what the outcome is going to be. It's very easy to be like, okay, this life isn't right for me, but I'm going to jump into the next one. If I can just like swing through the vine into another life, I'll be fine. And I even started thinking about like different things like joining the military because the military would be like, okay, I can travel a bit, but it's very 
I know exactly how it's going to go if I get into that and everything is guaranteed. And I mean, I'd never survive in the military. I can't listen to anyone like it never. (laughs) But it was just like wanting to have this very solid. And I think that's what can be so scary for so many people is how do we move forward? How do we let things go? How do we open our hand without instantly grabbing onto something else and being like, okay, I'm going to trust. I'm going to be curious. What is your advice to people who are like, I'm just so scared? We all know exercise makes life better. Our mood, our energy, just our general outlook on life improves. But sometimes it can feel like too much of a mission to get to a gym or to commit to a full hour workout. You're busy. I'm busy. Life is hectic. The Salty Club makes it easier than ever to sharpen your mind, body and soul with online equipment-free workouts starting as short as seven minutes all the way up to 50-minute classes. You can choose one-off classes or commit to a whole program where every class is planned out for you for a series of weeks. And the best bit? You'll be able to talk and share with other women in our group chat for that extra dose of motivation. The Salty Club is $19 a month, but you can try it absolutely free for one whole month with the exclusive code to this podcast. You'll go to the website, thesalty.club, and then the code you will use is SCLUBPOD. So S-C-L-U-B-P-O-D. It's something that I'm reinvigorated to address, especially this year. Um, and funny enough, I'm actually running like a, a sailing experience in, in Turkey called Voyage into the Unknown because oh, I literally like woke up with this like reverberating in my brain. And the reason why I'm going to do this is because I want to address that a lot of women have this fear of the unknown. Like every time I ask the question, what's your favorite body of water? A lot of women say, clear water, something I can see down to the bottom. It feels safe and warm. And I'm like, interesting. I don't really hear that from the men. They're like, I don't know, ocean, because it's wild and blah, blah, blah. I was like, why is that? So many women say clear water, they can see right down to the bottom. And I asked them, I was like, well, why, why do you like that? Why? They're like, well, I know I can see everything. There's no unknown. I was like, huh? Okay. I was like, interesting. And it made me think of that statistic where Women, if they're going after a new job and there's like 10 requirements, they won't apply unless they hit 10 out of 10 requirements versus men will be like, well, I hit seven out of 10. That's good enough. I'll learn the rest on the fly. I'm going to apply. And I think this thought that we need to have everything figured out or know everything in advance and plan for everything in advance um, is really holding us back. And something that we can do as a collective to practice um, getting comfortable with the unknown is to, rem- first of all, do it in our daily lives. Sometimes doing the big thing feels really scary. And like part of the sailing experience is like, I'm not going to tell them where they're going. I'm literally going to have them like, tr- I'm going to tell them what to pack, where to be, and like take them on this journey that's really going to exercise their muscle of trust and unknown and feel and sit in that discomfort for a week. And so with my advice to women who are also feeling this discomfort with the unknown, I want you to do two things. Like one is like, look at the past where you didn't have all the answers, but you still took a leap of faith and it was successful. So that is one thing to kind of ground yourself and like, wait a minute, like I've done this, I have a track record and I, and I was fine. Second thing is to see what can I do like in my daily um, decisions in my daily life that feel 
like I don't really know it all, but it doesn't feel as quote unquote risky as like a big career move. So an example of that could be, I don't know, like planning a trip, like something fun and somewhat innocuous is like, oh, I'm going to, I want to go on a road trip this weekend. Instead of going into the default, women always do this. I do this because I'm type A. (laughs) We'll literally go into research mode. I will pin everything on Google Maps. I will come up with all the routes, like do all my research. I want to know exactly what I'm getting into. Instead of doing that, exercise. Okay, like I'm just going to like book a flight and like I'll figure it out. It's going to be really uncomfortable and very foreign to me. And I'm scared. I'm scared I'm not going to have a good time. I'm scared that I'm not going to optimize my limited time off, blah, blah, blah. But you're going to have to just practice it at some point. So that's like one minor example of like how you could integrate releasing control and just going with it and just see what happens with very little risk. So that's the two things that I would say that was very, that's very accessible for you to try to get comfortable with the unknown. I think that's great. And I think on an even more micro scale, if you had an afternoon to be like, I'm just going to walk around my neighborhood and I'm going to go down different streets. And if I see a cafe Mm -hmm. I've not seen before, maybe I'll go in and I'm going to force myself to like make one conversation with someone and do these things that feel unsafe. You know, you can do these things in your own neighborhood as well. I love that. Absolutely. 100%. That's a really great idea. And I agree. This is something I talk about a lot with one of my friends. And you, you said these exact words, this feeling like you can be dropped anywhere and you can figure it out. And it's, there's something, and I think this is why so many of us travel, so many of us travel solo, because when you start to cultivate this feeling like, actually, you could drop me anywhere. I have enough maybe of this language, or I have enough like bravery. I have enough resourcefulness now that I could figure it out. Like I could find food. I could find somewhere to stay. I could make friends. And that's something that we cultivate over time. It's not something that you just, it's like these whiskers that you sharpen, right? And I think that contributes to like your resilience, it resilience to your faith in yourself to make these moves and to kind of be out in the unknown as well. And I've, I remember like, I've spoken about this in an interview before. I remember paying a bill in El Salvador for the first time in Spanish and being like, fuck, like I can do this. Like you can drop me anywhere, you know? And, and I think that's something I want for all women, not that you're, and it's a very like common line people use that you chose your life. You're not settling for it because you chose it by taking these strides, by taking these risks, by growing mm. your resilience, that your world is so open that when you are settling down or choosing where to live or choosing like who your community is, your family is, whatever, like you chose them. It wasn't just because it was from fear of like, I don't know what's out there and I'm too scared to see. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just super interesting. I mean, we can talk a little bit about now about the series that we'll be doing together in the club because that touches on the topic of financial abundance. And I would love to know how you became interested in that topic and then what made you feel compelled to want to teach about it as well. Yeah, so the upcoming series is all about abundance and sort of preparing our mindset for that. And for me, I'm really interested in it because it's something that I've had to move through and work on within myself. Um, As I mentioned earlier, like as a child of immigrants, like money and scarcity and saving, like that was very much part of the narrative and even making choices that would put us in a better financial position, like all of that felt heavy. Um, And yeah, the narrative that money is hard, that money and abundance is something that you have to 
really like strive for and fight for. Whereas I've been in my healing journey with money and abundance has really been about feeling safe to receive. And it's not so much this like masculine energy of like, go and hunt it. It's like, how can I use my feminine energy to attract it? And that has been way easier. Um, and in a way that is not really taught or talked about. Um, I know we hear the terms like manifesting thrown around, but I think there's still a lot of confusion and disconnect when it comes to like how that really works. You don't just jump into manifesting with like abundance and money without first clearing out some of the old stories. It's like trying to like build a house on an old house without like clearing out the foundations <laughs> properly. It's it's the same. Like you have to like take some time to go back to go forward and that's what I had to go through in my own life is to really look at my money stories, my associations with money, how I felt about money. And, and I realized that I was blocking my own self because money was such a source of disconnect in my family and a disconnect within sort of jobs and relationships. And I saw the destructiveness that it had. So I had this very different story in relationship with money Versus now I feel like money is just this like really fun tool that like anytime I make a decision about my dream, like the money just kind of comes and it's wild that it happens every single time. It's like this like net that wants to come and support you um, versus like it's this thing that's like it's a tricky little guy who's just like slipping through your fingers and like it's always hard <laughs> to manage. And, you know, it's like this narrative in your mind has to be shifted. And so, yeah, the series is really dedicated to the women who do believe money is hard and scarcity is very real. And, you know, maybe you're putting a, a limit on your own abundance and you're willing to try. You're willing to be open and you're willing to explore um, maybe some past like money stories that are still holding you back that maybe you haven't realized that you're holding on to and also get creative. I think um, an underutilized tool in manifesting is using your creativity, your imagination, and allowing these playful elements to help you reframe your relationship with money so that abundance feels more like a fun game and not something like you're climbing Mount Everest, which feels like scary to the mm. body versus, hey, it's a fun game and we're going to like use our imaginations. It puts you into more of that playful, childlike energy of hope. And it's a different frequency. Play has a very different frequency than like work and finance mm. and hard and, and desperation. And exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So scarcity definitely has this feeling of, oh God, I can't breathe. And it like constricts. It's very restrictive yeah. versus, mm. wow, like this is fun. This is playful. It feels very expansive. And my hope with this three series is to move you from that feeling of restriction to neutrality, then expansion. So it's, it's very much this three step process that allows you to identify your past patterns, release it, feel safe in your body and your neutrality of money and like see it as a neutral tool and then pushing you into the positive of like, wow, like how can I use and work with this energy that's here to support me and feel playful. And when you're in that playful mm. space, you get more open-minded about how money comes to you. So, yeah. 
I agree. And I love that you touched on like how money stories we can carry around and they can be carried from generation to generation. I mean, my in my family, we owned our first family home outright and it was on five acres overlooking the ocean and it was you know what my family would be thought would be the family home and the the generational home and then and then through like some business decisions we ended up losing it and then my parents divorced and we started again from zero at like when my parents were 40 and I have definitely seen how this legacy has carried throughout my siblings in different ways and I think there is definitely this fear around money there's definitely this um guilt around money and also this like tension around it and I'm definitely aware of it and it's interesting in my life because my streams of income are seasonal so there's not this like consistent salary that comes in and that's something that's I think I'm the first in my family to not have that salary because in in our lives it's like you need that and from that consistent salary you base your mortgage you base your whole life you know this idea of multiple streams of income wasn't really present in my family either Um, so I feel like I'm on my own process and I've definitely had years before where we're in the lower seasons where I feel that constriction where it's like, but for me, money is seasonal and I, each year I get more comfortable with, with that and also experiencing what is like a lower amount, what is a higher amount. And I actually think I'm growing so much in that process. And I also want to touch on how, how this thing of conjuring more money, being, being kind of an open vessel for more money, playing with it is not the same as consumerism. It's something completely different. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think there is too many old stories that, ooh, money's evil, ooh, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I think that's really it's creating this about like, my family. fear. That, yeah, it's exactly. It's like creating this fear and a blockage when like money is such a fuel for how you can make your dreams and your expressions in this world come to life. It is fuel. It's like we're having this, like you can have the best idea in the world, like this beautiful car and without the gas, it's not going to go anywhere. So fuel, the money is really fuel for this journey that you're on. And the thing is that people don't realize they're like, Oh, like you have a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, you can always choose how you spend your money. Whether you make a little or a lot, you're still making choices about your money. And so if you have a lot, great. That means you can express yourself bigger, louder. doesn't make it any more significant or not, but it just gives you more options to express yourself in different ways. Um, it doesn't even have to be like some big society-altering thing. It could even just be having the finances to pour into your family or pour into um, giving opportunities to people you care about, being generous, being more open, being more creative with your with your own ideas and not feeling so afraid of like taking that risk because you have that financial security in a way. So it's um, it's kind of an interesting topic to play with at this current stage, because I think now it's like it's never been more easy to make money. <laughs> I truly believe that like, and <laughs> yeah. money is getting money is getting printed every day. And this this narrative that keeps us in fear is truly not serving us and especially women any anymore. And I would really, really like to shift that belief. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think what I'm hearing from this is money, if if held and, and lived alongside in the right way, makes us more human and actually 
doesn't take us away from our humanity. It gives us more space, like you said, to help your community, to be in your community, to have spaciousness for your family, to be able to sit in that, like we were saying, in that boredom because you're not having this fear of, am I going to have money next week? And I think that's the thing in the way society is set up so much is so many people are living on this salary basis from paycheck to paycheck. And that is what strips so much of our open space for thinking, for like critical discussions, for community, for well-being, Mm. you know? Mm. Yeah, because if you're in survival mode, you're in the lower the lower regions of the hierarchy of needs and you're just in survival and you're unable to access the threshold of creativity, which will in turn bring you more money. So I feel that first you need to feel safe and trust. And that's the only thing you can do at the lower levels to kind of get to neutrality and move yourself into the realms of creativity and attracting more money and abundance. If you're remaining in fear, it's really hard for money to find you because it's at such a different frequency. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of why it takes some time for you to, not a lot of time, but it takes intentional practice for you to say, it's okay to let this fear go. I'm going to move into neutrality and then move up again into reception. It's like really unrealistic and harmful to say you can go from one extreme to the other without going through the other rungs of neutrality and healing before you get to this, oh, I'm just like this money magnet. Like that is harmful (laughs) to think that way. You need to go through, through. it's not some magical pill. It definitely Mm. requires intentional um, observation of your thoughts and lovingly and compassionately releasing one by one to feel safe, to feel like, okay, I've got my needs met. Like, cause the story you tell yourself is like, oh my God, I'm still in survival. When in fact, you're like, oh, actually like, I'm okay. There's creative solutions to feel like all my needs are met, but I don't have this and this and this that my friends have, but it's okay. Like I can let that go. I'm safe. Mm-hmm. And that will allow you to then think into the other realms and to open yourself up to the reception of money and abundance to come to you. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think honestly, what you spoke to is a big reason why I have stayed away from hosting and kind of producing any sort of financial abundance uh, things on the club, because what I was seeing a lot, which it felt like a lot of ungrounded, uh, like money coaches online suddenly and I think they they never teach that place of let's get to neutral, let's get to ground and then let's, let's go to the next phase. And that's why you see people calling the money, money coaches with reels of them like rubbing money all over themselves and like playing in a field and like all these things. And then almost like this overhyped like I am a like money magnetizing bitch and like it's just so intense and so like over the top and it's like okay I think we've missed a few levels here because that's not really what I'm wanting to like give my community (laughs) yes yes well thank you for like trusting me with this um you know this task of sharing this knowledge because yeah there are there is a lot of noise out there I don't think it's better or worse it's just different and like the way I think of Mm -hmm. it it's like I'd say I'm very much like rooted. Yes, I do think very like spiritual, esoteric and open, but also very rooted in the real world. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to teach from the balance, one foot in each realm, so to speak, so that you feel that it's never like out of reach and it feels practical. I think that's super important for me to for people attending this workshop series to have practical steps that they can take and, and, and use 
right away to see for themselves like, oh, I feel different. Oh, I'm thinking differently. I'm moving differently. So that every every week that we build on the tools that I presented from the week prior. So really it's to give women the tool set needed for them to carry this on onwards. And it's not some theory that I'm just going to say, oh, you just have to wish it. <laughs> like, it's not, that is like, I mean, it's, a, it's, it is part of it, but it's not, it's not the main event. The main event really can come from within mm. and healing that and, and really like, you know, working with it and, and then being yeah. open. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's that same, the same thing of like putting affirmations on your mirror. Like I am so hot. I am so beautiful. And it's like, yeah, if we go straight to that, we're probably not going to believe what we're telling ourselves. There has to be a few stages and a few integrations before we get to that point. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to include all the information in the show notes and I really, I can't wait for it. Um, before we start to wrap this up, I have a few questions I like to ask everyone. They're kind of um, like one-line questions. And one of those is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self now? Mm. I would definitely say trust your gut. Don't question it. <laughs> if you have the knowing, believe it. Yeah. I love it. I could have saved myself years of trauma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we all could. Just listen. It's not lying to you. Just listen to it. (laughs) Yeah, don't gaslight. Don't gaslight yourself. Just trust it. It's it's Uh, real. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. The next one I'd like to ask is what is the most important thing you learned from your last breakup? To use my voice. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say... A lot of the times, um, boundaries were really difficult for me um, and not being able to speak up for myself um, really hurt us, hurt me, of course, but also hurt our relationship dynamic because communication really is key and part of my healing journey has come from standing in my power and standing up for myself, being an advocate for myself and using my voice in a loving way. And and some things about boundary setting really is how do I love me and you equally instead of it's not me versus you, it's me and you. And how can I assert that boundary sooner? That's definitely something that I have learned um, and since have practiced <laughs> to varying degrees of success. <laughs> but yes, using my voice, setting those boundaries in a loving way for both parties and and um, doing that much sooner and taking ownership of that. Mm, I love that. And I totally agree. The next one is a bit of an intense one, but obviously this theme is like really present for us right now in the club. We just lost someone close to us. So it's definitely a conversation we're having a lot about kind of what we've learned and how we're growing through it. What I'd like to ask you is what is one of the most important things you have learned from death? Mm. Death is something, you know, death is super present in my life. Personally, I've lost many, many people in my life. And I always say that death is my greatest teacher because it truly is something that you cannot escape. Everybody will receive death at some point and there really is no time. So I think this goes hand in hand with like my desire for women to stop being so afraid 
because there really is no time. You never know. It doesn't come at old age. It could be from when you're young. It doesn't matter. Like death comes for us at any given point. And the wasting of time is real. And like, I don't mean wasting of time as in like, you should still create time for boredom, of course, to be more creative, like big picture. But I'm talking about don't waste your time spinning circles in fear and doubt, because that really is a true waste of time. When you could easily just jump right in and learn on the fly and have no regrets. And one of the ways that I live my life is every day I check in and I'm like, if I were to die right now, would I have any regrets or would I wish I did something different? And the answer is always no. Like I'm, I'm certain that if I were to die in my sleep tonight and I'm floating off, you know, and see my life, um, I would be, I would be proud. I'd be excited, um, for the next journey and proud of what I've done and not even like my, my greatest, most proudest moments in, in death wouldn't even be about what I achieved, um, on the external sense or how much money I made. It would be, I was able to heal generational trauma within my own family and have such a strong and loving relationship with my siblings and neutralize some of the the feelings that I've had with my parents and that generation. That is my greatest a quote unquote achievement. And really like everything else is like a cherry on top. And so I think if you really look at the fact that death can come at us at any point, it's it's like a sense of urgency that that needs to be in, integrated into our life that we really don't have time. So why not really be present? Like if you're going to do life, be hyper present, present to your life, you know? So yeah, yeah. be with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be with life and actually be in your life. And what's that thing they say? Like, don't live the same year every, like for 75 times and call it a life. And I love what you said. Death is my greatest teacher because truly I think what was the catalyst for me, like going off the conventional path was I was in this workplace. And then one of, one of the girls from this workplace had a motorcycle accident and she was like 18, 19 and she passed away. And I was talking to one of my friends and she, and it was my first real young person's death. And, and my coworker, my friend was like, honey, the first one's always the hardest. And I just remember thinking the first one, it was like, oh my God, like this is going to keep happening to all of us. And we don't know Mm -hmm. when, and it's not guaranteed. And it definitely was the hardest hitting. I had to sit with it for like a really long time, but it definitely gave me this sense of urgency. Like, okay, like we never know when our bus is coming and, and it's, Mm. it's not a dark way to look at it. It's a true way to look at it. And if we can walk like with death in this way, it, it just cuts away so much of the bullshit, right? 100%. And I would also like to offer an alternative way to look at this if that feels too heavy. <laughs> I, I feel I feel very comfortable with death. So sometimes I can talk like freely about this. But if that feels like, ooh, that's scary for me, another fun way to look at this is like I always imagine this life that we're living as like a game, right? Like we have picked our avatars, our little characters, and we're like just trying to get through this life game. And, you know, like things can happen and we can die at any point in this game. Um, And when you get to the other side, you come out of this game simulation and some woman is like, 
hi, I'm from customer service of life. Um, how did you do? Like, what did you think? Is this game like worth replaying? How would you rate it out of, out of one to 10? Like 10 out of 10? I hope to God I say 100%, let's go again. That was so fun, you know? I don't want to be like, shit. Like, I just did nothing but like worry my whole life and like take the same job and didn't take any risks. I was like, what was I doing? I was like stuck on level one the whole time. <laughs> like I wanna I wanna do all the side quests. I wanna do all the random adventures. I, I'm gonna explore every random hidden room there is so that when mm. I get to the end of this like game simulation that I could tell the customer service lady, yeah, that was great. Worth everything. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fun. And it's so true. If it's like, nah, probably wouldn't do it again then what are you doing you know if you weren't unlocking all the levels if you weren't running around enjoying it and I think that's such a great way to look at it and I think that's also a basis for such a good movie as well (laughs) imagine (laughs) you said it here first (laughs) I love that and I think that's definitely a really fun way a fun takeaway for that and I'm going to carry that with me too Hannah thanks so much for joining me this morning I love talking to you and I'm really excited to share this conversation with the community yeah thank you so much for your time Caitlin I'm very excited for the workshop this podcast was brought to you by the Salty Club hosted by me Caitlin Creeper and sound and editing by Matyosh Gomes.